Well, long story short, it's a treat to be here with you this morning and uh, work through the disciplines of fellowship and service. And I love the overlap we've already seen, right? Um, There's so much fellowship that occurs when you're serving alongside one another. Well, as you might know, and maybe you don't know because there's a lot of us that are new, but you might know that our elders have put together a list of six biblical disciplines that they call the essentials. The essentials include prayer, fellowship, Bible study, worship, evangelism, and service. Well, as you might imagine, there's a reason that our elders have named these disciplines essential. And it's because they are, in fact, essential for our Christian life. If we want to pursue holiness become less like the people we were before we knew Christ and more like our Savior day by day, then we must be diligent to cultivate the essentials in our daily life. During our time together this morning, we're going to consider service. We're going to look at the command to serve. We're going to look at the characteristics of biblical service. And then finally, we're going to workshop the channels of service. But before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful for your love that you set upon us. We are so thankful for our Savior and for your word. Lord, thank you that you brought us together this morning, that we could consider what your word says about how we are to fellowship with one another and how we are to serve you, Lord, by serving your church. We love you and we praise you. I pray that you would be with me this morning that you would help me speak clearly and accurately, that your Holy Spirit would be at work, that your word would be helpful and profitable for all those who love and belong to you. Lord, if there are any here this morning who don't know you, I pray today is the day that you open their eyes, draw them to yourself, and make them new, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Well, why is it that service is essential? As believers, why can't we just focus on our own spiritual growth? Spend time in prayer, fellowship with other Christians, share the gospel with unbelievers. Why must we serve the body of Christ as well? Well, those are good questions. So let's begin at the beginning with the command to serve. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 4.10. And we're going to read that verse together. First Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Well, there's a lot packed in that verse that we're going to look at together, but we're going to start with the verb, employ. That verb is in the present tense and in the active voice. It is a command. And it's an ongoing command. Remember, it's in the present tense. And the active voice means that we're the ones employing it. This isn't passive. We're the ones that need to be at work using our gifts. Service to the Lord and his church is not optional. Peter's very clear when he explains that every member of the body of Christ has been given a gift. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. And that the gifts are not for our own benefit. If you have been made new, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have been gifted to serve, and your gift is to benefit the body. It's to build up one another. And the fact that it is a command, not a suggestion, 
should be motivation enough for us to obey, right? But it's not the only motivation we have. We are spurred into action, spurred on to serve the body of Christ because of the incredible gratitude we have for what the Lord has done for us. If you were here in August when we began our study in Titus 2 Bible study, you might remember that we studied 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, which says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So Paul is explaining here to the Corinthian church his motivation. His motivation to do all that he does, all of the effort that he puts into building Christ's church. His motivation is the love of Christ. Because Christ, the perfect one, fully God, fully man, died upon the cross as a perfect sacrifice, paying the price for all of Paul's sin, and every sin of every person who will ever believe, reconciling all of us to holy God, because of that incredible, steadfast, abounding way that Christ loves his own, Paul is motivated to live the rest of his life as an act of grateful worship. And so we too, like Paul, need to dwell on what our Savior has done for us. And in response to his sacrifice, not only should we be willing to serve his church, but we should delight in serving his church. It reminds me of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to ask you to turn with me there too. Isaiah chapter 6. I don't know if I'm going to make you flip with me as much, <laughs> but I love what Aaron said. It's a workshop. <laughs> All right, Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Verse 1 begins, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory, is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. So here is Isaiah describing for us what the Lord has shown him. He sees the Lord sitting on his throne. He sees the seraphim are declaring, God is holy, holy, holy. And the prophet is overcome with his own sinfulness. 
And then the seraphim touches his lips with the burning coal and tells him that his sin is forgiven. And then we see the Lord asking, whom shall I send? And in response to the forgiveness he's just received, in overwhelming gratitude, Isaiah immediately responds with, me, me, send me. It's like he can't even help himself, right? He's so grateful to the Lord. He's so thankful for the Lord's mercy on him that he can't even wait to serve. He says, I'll go, Lord. Send me. That should be the response of our hearts, too. We should continually remind ourselves of all that the Lord has done for us in salvation and his mercy and grace in our lives every single day since then so that we are eager, motivated, and enthusiastic to serve our king and build up his church. But if we're honest with ourselves, is that what our attitudes always look like on a regular basis? Maybe not. We might have times that we get excited about the idea of serving, but it's also possible that at times we think of service as a burden. Or maybe we get stuck in a service rut. Has that ever happened to you? Or you're just going through the motions without really putting your heart into what you're doing. As followers of Christ, we're to serve the Lord with gladness. Our gratitude overflows from our hearts, and we serve the King by serving his body with joy. Well, not only are we to be motivated to serve by obedience and gratitude, but also because every single believer has been given a gift to do so. Again, 1 Peter 4.10, as each of us, each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one. That's you. That's me. We have all received some combination of gifts, or at least one gift, that we are to use for the glory of God and the good of his church. And verse 10 says that we're to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Well, that word manifold means many-colored or multifaceted. And one commentary I read described believers' gifts as unique as a snowflake or a fingerprint. There is no one else that has the exact same spiritual giftedness that you do. Think of a garden and the incredible varieties of flowers that we see there, right? Even amongst one particular type of flower, the um, incredible variety of colors. Picture in your mind a row of beautiful tulips, okay? A row of lovely, blooming, pink tulips. Can you see them? Now, even though they're all pink tulips, they're all still unique, right? The shade of the color, the shape of the petals, all of them just a little bit different than the one next to them in the row. Our God is an amazing artist. Think of an artist combining the colors on his palette to make just the right shade. Only God knows how he blended a combination of gifts to perfectly suit the purpose he has for you. Which is why we must be faithful to serve, to use our gifts for his glory. There's no one else that is gifted in the exact same way that you are. 
Yep, two people might have the gift of teaching, but their style of teaching, the way they communicate the message will be different, each one blessing others in a unique way. Think even about our pastors, Pastor Tom, Pastor Jonathan, Brand, Pastor Brandon and Justin. Each of those men are clearly gifted teachers, and each of them is completely unique from one another, right, and with very different teaching styles. And we're all so blessed to learn from them as they bring the Word of God. Well, what if Jonathan said, you know what, I'm not going to teach anymore because Tom already does that. Well, we would all miss out on the blessing that we would have by hearing Jonathan bring the word. Jonathan would miss out on being blessed by getting to serve the Lord in that way. Tom and the others would miss out on having help and support by these godly men who bring the word, right? None of us get a pass. We've all been given gifts that we're responsible to use. Well, it's a fair question to ask, how do I know what I'm gifted at? Now, if you search for it, and I'm not suggesting you do, (laughs) but you can find a lot of different answers to that question. (laughs) There are groups that have made spiritual giftedness tests, and you can answer some basic questions, and it's supposed to tell you what your gift is. But remember how we just talked about your gifts being as unique as a snowflake or a fingerprint? How could we ever know exactly how the Lord has gifted you or how he plans to use you so that he can fulfill his purpose for you. The best way to start figuring out what areas you're gifted to serve in is to jump in and start serving anywhere that interests you or anywhere there's a need. And as others affirm you, bless them in that ministry, or more opportunities are given to you in a particular area, you will learn more about how you're gifted. And it is key, by the way, to let other people affirm your giftedness. (laughs) I love to sing, y'all. I mean, like, I really love to sing. But I just cannot decide, take it upon myself to decide that I am gifted to lead women in song. (laughs) If I stood up here to sing and every one of you is thinking, girl, sit down, (laughs) then it's not my gifting, right? No matter how much I wish it was. Yeah, I hope, I hope, side note, it's totally not my notes. I hope that when we get to heaven, like, we can just all sing like Mandisa, right? Like, I just want to, like, big sing worship to the Lord. I hope that's, I hope that's the case, and I'm not limited by my feebleness. But anyway, okay, point is, let other people affirm your giftedness, right? Try serving in different areas that you enjoy. Let the affirmation of others and the opportunities come, and that will direct you where you serve. You'll find where you're gifted. All right, well, now that we've seen the command to serve and that we're gifted to serve, I want us to consider together the characteristics of biblical service. I'm hoping at this point that you're thinking, yes, here I am. Send me, Lord. I'll serve. Biblical, spirit-filled service has some important characteristics that we need to be mindful of as we set out to serve our God. Biblical service is not just a natural talent that a person has, right? You might be a fantastic musician, and you might stand up on a stage and play worship songs on the guitar, but the truth is you can do that even if you're not a believer. 
Just participating in the activity does not make it the kind of service we're talking about. Biblical spirit-filled service has three key components to it that we're going to break down in a little more detail. Well, first, this kind of service is done in all humility. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 3 to 8 together. Philippians chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, chapter 2 begins with the word, therefore, which links us back to the end of chapter 1, verse 27. So I'm going to ask you to glance up on the page and read that one verse with me as well. Verse 27 says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So here we find Paul telling the church at Philippi to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, to stand firm in one spirit, to strive together with one mind, to be unified. Well, how do we practically go about being unified with people that we may or may not agree with? How do we go about serving one another in a God-honoring way, even if there are people at church that are maybe a little bit harder for us. Sitting here together this morning with Bibles in your laps, we would all say, yes, ma'am, I want to conduct myself in a manner worthy. I want to protect the unity of the church. I want to serve my Lord and his church well. But when the rubber meets the road and you're serving with someone that's difficult for you or you disagree with someone about how something should go in your ministry, it's not as easy as it sounds to be of one mind. And we start to get hung up on things like, but I'm right. But my way is actually better. And she just got here. Doesn't even know what I know. But ladies, the bedrock for unity and spirit-filled service is humility. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That first instruction is that we must do nothing from selfishness. The word selfishness is also translated as contentious and has the idea of someone creating strife. The person who is selfish has a factious spirit and seeks to put themselves forward. This is a self-seeking attitude that promotes division. The selfish person is consumed with their own personal preferences and desires, and they will get them. 
They're not concerned with who they trample over in the process. Well, when I describe the selfish person in that way, it sounds awful, right? (laughs) I don't think any of us would own behaving in that way. But if we're honest with ourselves, we can be guilty of this, right? Even over the smallest, most insignificant things. I think uh, Vicki already said it, that my husband and I serve in the youth ministry here, and we're starting our 12th year there in that ministry. Well, during that time, I have had the opportunity to go on camp, like summer camp, with our youth over 30 times now. And camp is always such a blessing to me. We get to open the Word of God with the teens every single day. We have a separate time of devotion with our small groups in the evenings. We get to shepherd the students through whatever it is they're going through at the time. It's really precious. But camp is also exhausting. (laughs) And they are long, full days. And as leaders, we sleep on the same plastic mattresses on metal bunk beds that the kids do. And we eat the same food that the kids do, even though it's often not what you would choose to eat at home. And we shower last after all the kids. So there's been many, many times in my life that I've taken an ice cold shower at 1130 at night because there's not any hot water left. During camp, opportunities for selfishness abound. (laughs) (laughs) Leaders have ideas on which games we should play, how we should run the games, how to unload the luggage, where should we put the luggage, who should sleep in what bunkhouse, what music should we sing. Truly, the opportunities to push personal preference at the expense of trampling over others present themselves all day long. And we have to pause and remember, what am I doing? Why am I here? Am I here to get my own way? Or am I here to serve my God and serve these youth and serve my fellow leaders? And when we get it right, when we set aside self and walk in humility, it is such a blessing to everyone there. And the kids get to see what loving one another in real life looks like and what living for Christ looks like in action. And God is glorified. But if we get it wrong and we push for our own way, and we seek our own agenda, and we trample over others to make sure that it's done right, we blow our witness to the youth that are watching, and we look just as selfish and divided as the rest of the world. It's absolutely essential, essential, ladies, that as we serve the Lord in whatever capacity he's called us to do, that we remember what's at stake. We must serve in all humility, not giving the enemy a chance to divide us and distract us from what we've been called to do. Well, we're also told in the verse that we must put off empty conceit. Empty conceit is also translated as vainglory, and this is an inflated view of self. This is when we are thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, which again, if we're honest, can be a struggle for all of us, right? The root of this sin is pride, and we're going to fight this to some degree until Jesus comes or calls us home. It's in our sinful nature to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And the longer we keep our eyes horizontal, the easier it can be to get puffed up and inflated views of self. Which, ladies, is why we must be regularly intaking the Word of God. We must keep our eyes on the real standard so that we have an accurate view of self. 
In church, I think this issue of empty conceit can most often raise its ugly head when we value our own service, our own giftedness, more than we value someone else's. And maybe it's because we've been serving longer, or because we feel like we know more, or maybe you just feel like you're better at it. Imagine with me that you are at church on Sunday morning, and Pastor Tom preaches a sermon that is beautiful and convicting and just really impacts you. And so you are full of worship and gratitude, and so you want to stop and see him on the way out and tell him how much you appreciated the message. And so you do. You see him, and you stop, and you say, Pastor Tom, thank you. That message was so helpful. You did such a great job. What if he responded with, I know, right? (laughs) I really nailed that one. Like, that's crazy, right? Of course he would never do that. Our pastor is a humble servant of God. He knows that it's a privilege to use his spiritual gifts to serve the body in all humility. But we can be susceptible to valuing our own contributions more than others. When we forget that we are all, every single one of us, servants of the king, that it is a privilege to serve him in his kingdom, we get overinflated opinions of ourselves, and it is vainglory. Well, we also see in the verse that we're to regard one another as more important than ourselves. We are to regard one another in all humility. We are to count or esteem other people as more important than ourselves. Ladies, this will never happen accidentally. In our flesh, we just don't. Right? We just don't esteem others as more important than ourselves. It's completely countercultural to what the world is telling us right now, right? There are bookstores packed with self-help books that say we need to love ourselves the most. That if we want happy and fulfilled lives, we need to love me some me. That's not what the Bible says. If we're going to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of our Savior and serve his church in a way that glorifies him, then we must regard one another as more important than ourselves. Okay, so practically, how do we do that? When it comes to ourselves, we tend to dwell on areas of accomplishments or areas of giftedness, right? And then when it comes to others, we do the opposite. We focus on their areas of sin or areas they need to grow in, right? We need to flip that. When we think of us, we should focus on the log in our own eye. Look for areas of sin that we can cut out and be putting to death. When we look for others, when, right, when we're looking at other people, we should focus on their gifts and anything they do that's praiseworthy and glorifies God. And the more we do that, the more humility will come. Verses 5 through 8 continued with, Have this attitude in yourself also, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this attitude in yourselves. Which attitude? The one Paul was just talking about. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important. That attitude. Which was also in Christ Jesus. 
He is our perfect example. We are to be humble like Christ is humble. And I really wish, like with everything in me, that we could stay here for another 45 minutes and unpack everything that says about Jesus. But we can't. I don't have time. Um, And the point of those verses isn't to introduce new theology or to teach us new doctrine. The point of that text is the command. Have this attitude in yourself also. Be humble like Christ is humble. Christ enjoyed all the rights and privileges of God and willingly set them aside to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, and to die, even death on a cross, so that we could be reconciled to holy God. That is an extraordinary step of humility. Can you imagine to have all of the rights and privileges of Almighty God and choose not to exercise all of them? Let that sink in. All of the rights and privileges of God and choose to set them aside. Whether or not we want to admit it, we get hung up on what we think we deserve and what we think our rights are all of the time. We come into church on a Sunday morning all set to be humble, (laughs) all set to serve, and then someone asks us to do a job we don't want to do. Or they speak to us abruptly, or they use a tone of voice that we don't appreciate. Or they don't even speak to us at all, and they just go about doing what they're doing without even asking our opinion. And we get upset. And we let thoughts like, I'm not being appreciated. I deserve better than this. She was so inconsiderate to me. Roll around in our mind. And our pursuit of setting aside self and regarding others dies right there. The next time you are tempted to meditate on thoughts of what you deserve and how you ought to be treated, remind yourself of the example of our Savior who set aside the rights and privileges of God so that he could make a way for us, the unlovable, to be reconciled to him. You think you've been disrespected? You've never been disrespected like he was. You think you've been wronged? Not like he was. You think you've been mistreated? You've never been mistreated like he was. We have no better example of humility than our Savior. And like him, we must be willing to let go of our rights if it will serve others, build up the body, and protect the unity of the church. Well, the second characteristic of biblical service is that it must always be done in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 reads, I mean, verses 1 through 4, read. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Paul tells the Corinthians that whatever they're doing, whatever it is we do, all of our best efforts, all of the meals that you make and take to other families, all of the getting up early to get to church to set up or staying late to clean up, all of that, the countless other ways you're serving the Lord, it is all worthless if it's not done in love. Sheila Pennington shared this illustration with me once, and I've never forgotten it. 
Imagine with me that there's like a huge whiteboard behind me, right? Like as big as that screen. Imagine that's a, a whiteboard. And I write the biggest number I can come up with. 999,999,999,999. You get it, right? Like a really big number. Times zero is zero. That is all of our work, all of our effort, if it's done without love. This matters, ladies. The way we love each other is important to God, so it must be important to us. If we're going to obey the command to serve the body of Christ in spirit as well as in deed, then we must love one another in that service. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. Love is another powerful motivation. There are plenty of things that we would do for love that we would never do for money, right? Think of all the nights you've stayed up with a sleepless, with a sick child. Or all of the hours you spent stuck in traffic, taking an elderly loved one to doctor appointments. Or the time you spent caring for a parent in your home once they were unable to live on their own. Some of those things are hard, like really hard. And you wouldn't do them for money, but you would do them out of love. You'd do them because Christ first loved you, and he enabled you to pour your love out on others. There are many opportunities for service in the church that are not glamorous. They are not visible and might sometimes be flat out hard, but we can do them because we love his church. Remember that the body of Christ is also called the bride of Christ? If we're going to serve the bride of Christ like we're commanded to, we must love his bride like he did. Well, the third characteristic of biblical service is serving under leadership. Our God is a God of order. And just like with everything else in creation... He has designed an order for his church. The local church is led and shepherded by our elders, the good and godly men that have been gifted and called to serve the Lord in this way. At Countryside, we have been blessed with a truly amazing group of men that are like-minded in their pursuit of the Lord's will, in their willingness to set aside self and personal preferences, and in their love for God's people. Our elders are servant leaders. They model for us day in and day out what it looks like to love and serve the bride of Christ. Most of what they do is behind the scenes, and no one ever even knows about it. And as much as we've grown in the last few years, it might be possible that you don't know who our elders are. And so I want to pause and encourage you, when you go home today, go to the church website, on the left-hand side is like a column of options. At the top, it says About. Click on About. Then click on Leadership and Staff, and you will see the name and picture of every elder on our elder board. And I would encourage you to take a moment and pray for them. Pray for them as an elder board as a whole, for unity, that they would continue to pursue the Lord's will, that the Lord would bless all of their efforts. Pray for them as individual men 
Pray for them that the Lord would protect them from temptation and sin, that he would multiply their time. You have any idea how much time they sacrifice for us? That, he, that the Lord would bless all that they do. The elders have been charged with teaching and equipping the church body. We see that in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, which reads, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So their job is to equip the saints. Well, we also read a description of our job as individual believers in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Obey your leaders in such a way that it is a joy to shepherd us and that we're not a source of grief. This includes the way we serve. When we serve the church in a manner that glorifies God, we do so by submitting to his appointed leadership. Well, again, that's sometimes easier to do than others, right? Sometimes we agree <laughs> with the decisions that the elders make regarding our particular ministry or an area of service that affects us, and we think, yes, I am so thankful for our godly, amazing leaders. But what about when you're really excited about something? And maybe you have a new idea or you want to lead a new ministry that you're sure is going to be amazing. And so you check into it and you ask and you're told no. And maybe it's a really hard no. Maybe it's not what you wanted to hear at all. And you think, why won't let they let me do this the way I want to do it? Clearly, it's a great idea. And so you're tempted to have a bad attitude about it. Or maybe you're tempted to gossip to someone else in the church about it, about how the situation was handled. Or worse yet, maybe you're tempted to decide to go ahead and do it anyway and just go around the decision you were given. Well, ladies, biblical service delights to serve under the authority that God has in place in his church. We may never know why we get told sometimes, but here's the reassuring truth. Are you ready for it? We don't need to know. It is the responsibility of the elders to decide what ministries best meet the current needs of the church. And it's their responsibility to identify and affirm ministry leaders. They take into account all kinds of factors. Spiritual giftedness, character, maturity, experience. Do you know how much of that is for our own protection as well? Maybe they do see some giftedness in you that they're excited to let you get to use. But there's a process of maturity. And they know that shoving you in there too early, too early could be to your detriment, right? They know all kinds of things that we don't need to know, that we don't have the burden of knowing or worrying about. Did you know that when a particular ministry or a Sunday school is choosing what to study next, they consider what's being taught in all of the other ministries in our church to avoid redundancy? What are the needs of this particular ministry? What are the goals for the various ministries? You know, and sometimes we just jump into a new Sunday school or a ministry and we think, why'd they pick this book? I wouldn't have picked this book. And we all have personal preferences, but it's helpful to know that none of those decisions were made lightly or flippantly. In fact, an incredible amount of prayer and work and research goes into all of those decisions. It should be a relief to us as the individual members of the body 
that we don't have to know or agree with why all the decisions are made the way they are. We only need to be faithful to serve, to trust the Lord, to trust the elders that he has put in place to lead his church, and trust the timing with his ministry that he gives you to serve in. Well, I can imagine in a church this size, it might feel intimidating to jump in. Aaron said that, I've said that, right? We've said that a couple times. It might be intimidating to just jump in and start serving. In fact, it might even be frustrating. Maybe you taught Bible study at your last church, and you'd like a chance to do that again. Maybe you led home groups in the past, and you'd like to serve the Lord in that way again. The body of Christ needs every single member. And every single believer has been gifted to serve. If you are a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need you. <laughs> you have a place in this body. We need you to be serving. And it is a process that takes time. It is the Lord who opens doors to areas of service, and it is the Lord who directs our steps through them. We need to obey his command to serve and then trust the Lord for how he will use us in different ministries according to his time. When I first came to Countryside 17 years ago, I started serving in the nursery. And I got to hold babies and bless mamas week after week, and I loved that ministry. Um, and then a couple of years into that, my husband and I were asked to be two-year-old teachers. And we did that for a few years, and again, we really enjoyed it. And then we were asked to be middle school leaders, and we both knew we'd found our home. We loved that ministry. Believe me when I tell you, opportunities for thankless service abound <laughs> in middle school. Uh, but man, we just really love it there. I've, I, yeah, I've walked with countless middle school girls through emotion and drama and friendship issues and hygiene issues and boyfriend issues and everything else that comes with being a 12-year-old. <laughs> but after six years of that, the elder over my ministry asked me if I wanted to learn how to teach the Word of God to women. Turns out, the Lord showed me the other thing I absolutely love to do. He graciously opened the door for me to serve him in that way, and I will be thankful every day that he leaves me here. But the point is, though, there were a lot of years of changing diapers and wiping running noses and stacking chairs and talking truth to sweet young ladies before I ever got there. If you're new to countryside, don't be frustrated that the end goal you're looking towards isn't open right now. Just jump in and get serving. There are needs in children's summer Sunday school. They can always use help. Let people get to know you. Let people get to see the Lord work through you. Let people learn your areas of giftedness, and he will open the doors that he has for you. Well, with the last of our time this morning, here comes the workshop part. <laughs> We're going to look at the channels of service. We've talked about serving the body of Christ, and there are two different categories that that service can fall into. Aaron mentioned it briefly. The first is organized ministry. And there are booklets on your table um, that you're going to look through and discuss together in just a moment. And these booklets are filled with official ministries at Countryside. They can all use help. There are ministries in there you've never heard of, you've like, like never even thought of. Half the ministries I see in there, I'm like, wait, what? That's a thing? But it's amazing what a group of Christians who are motivated to serve God can do. We have our annual ministry fair here in the gym on Sunday, August 6th. So that gives you about six weeks to look through this booklet 
and see what ministry you could be a blessing to by serving him. Well, the other category of service is unorganized ministry. And this is what living out the one another's looks like. This is serving the individual members of this church body, your friends, your neighbors, the people you're serving alongside with in ministry, those people. Taking a meal, helping someone fix a flat tire, having your teenage son mow an elderly woman's lawn, babysitting for a friend so she can go on a date night with her husband, seeing a post on Facebook that someone needs a place to stay for a few weeks and you open your home to them. That is spirit-filled, God-honoring service to the king. That kind of service is also a fragrant aroma to our God. There is a verse at each one of your tables that I would like you to discuss as a group as well. And so as we break, you have two assignments, okay? Assignment number one, look through the booklets together. And there are three booklets per table, and some of you have more than three people. But fellowship, you can share. <laughs> so you can just side by side that, okay? All right. Um, and so you're going to look through the booklets together. And so likely not everyone at your table is new, even if there are a couple people at your table that are new. So talk about any experience you have with these ministries or how you were blessed in that ministry or share what you're excited about, right? Ask questions of one another. That's what the booklet's for, assignment number one. Assignment number two. I want you to consider, think first, well, who is one person in my life this week, right, that I can serve unofficially? I want you to decide on one tangible way that you can serve them this week. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe it's a small thing. But I want you to get busy loving on someone in the church body and actually do it. <laughs> so don't pick your cousin in North Carolina. Unless you're flying to North Carolina tomorrow, don't do it, right? Pick someone you know that you can think, Maybe I'm going to mail them a card of encouragement and tell them I'm praying for them. Maybe I'm going to drop by Crumble Cookies because I know that's her favorite. Maybe I'm going to ask her if I can keep her toddlers one day so she can have a nap. Like, I mean, just whatever, right? It doesn't have to be earth-shattering, paradigm-shifting. But just choose one person and one real way that you can serve them this week, and then share that with your table. Share ideas with each other, too, because maybe you're stuck in an idea rut, but you have each other. Fellowship. Okay, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to break into workshop time, okay? Lord, we love you. We are so thankful for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for opening our eyes and making us your own. Thank you for gifting us, Lord, to serve your body. What an incredible privilege it is. I pray that you would help us walk in all humility. Help us love one another even when it's hard. Help us submit to the authority you've placed over us even when we don't feel like it. Lord God, our motivation is the love you have shown for us and our desire is to bring you glory and honor you in the way that you call us to serve. We readily confess we cannot do it apart from your grace and mercy. Please be with us. Please equip us to do what you've called us to do. It is in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.